Hello and welcome to another episode of the Marvin's World podcast, a podcast where we speak to absolutely amazing and tantalizing individuals, people who inspire us to chase our dreams and make what we love our full-time job. If you like the episode, share it with your friends, spread the love and give us a fantastic review on iTunes or Amazon. If it wasn't your cup of tea, no worries. Just keep it to yourself and don't tell anyone else. Today we have an absolutely awesome guest. She is absolutely fascinating. She is Laura Spicer. She's worked with many of the most renowned NLP teachers in the world. And she is a remarkable guest who is going to inspire us and tell us the myths and how NLP can make your life better. Hello, Laura Spicer. Well, hello, hello Laura, Marvin. <laughs> how are you keeping today? Great, thanks. How are you? Oh, I mean, I'm grateful for a lot of things. I mean, I'm grateful that things aren't a lot worse for my, my side of things. I'm, it's like The Rock says, whatever struggles you're going in for in life, at least be appreciative that you have one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and this is one of those situations with COVID. Oh, I think there's a lot of blessings inside COVID. A lot, for me anyway, but I think for our planet. So I'm not one of the people that's uh, fighting to get back to normal. I don't, I don't think that normal was great. And I think we need a reset. And I think this is a perfect opportunity. And I think that a lot of people have had some time with themselves to <clears throat> to think about what's really important and to do some what I call real life, life for reals. You know, life for reals isn't being part of some crazy rat race, rushing to work in the morning, sitting on horrible underground trains packed like a sardine in a tin to go and do some boring job, uh, come home at night exhausted and not really have much left for their families and suddenly people have time with their families and I think there's been some real blessings. There are some. Yeah, it's well for yeah, it's given people to reflect their lives. So maybe more people so you think more people will be happier and will go out and change things and like Well that remains to be seen. I mean, depends what you aim for, Marvin. I aim for my happiness. I like feeling happy. And actually happy is an understatement. I like feeling blissfully happy. Hmm. And, you know, as an NLPer, I know that we can train our neurology. Our neurology, what the, the whole system that we have is a creature of habit. So if your habit is negative thinking, miserable, drama, or whatever it is, then you'll be good at it. You get good at what you practice. Personally, I prefer to practice blissful happiness, um, appreciation, joy, love, all those things that matter to me, and connection. And I also feel very strongly about our environment and our planet. And I'm really grateful the planet's had a little bit of a pause to rebuild herself 
you know, the birds and the animals have been enjoying lockdown. Oh, definitely. <laughs> it's, and what, what, what sort of brought you into this sort of world law? Like, how did you become, where did you learn NLP and become passionate about what you did? Right. So it was an accident, a happy accident. And uh, I was struggling with something. To, uh, to, I, I was a young mum and I couldn't work out how to help my son to like going to school. He hated it and I didn't blame him. It was more fun at home, but you know, you got to do it. And so I wanted to work out a way to be able to present going to school to him in a way that would feel okay for him, really, more than anything. He used to dread it so much when he was tiny. And I read an article in a magazine and uh, there was a big picture next to this article. And it was a picture of a guy that looked like, well, an old rock and roller. He had a ponytail. He had the fingernails of one hand painted black and the fingernails of one hand painted white. And he was wearing a leather jacket. He looked um, like he lived a good life on the streets. And um, the words in this interview were so wise. And I remember looking at the picture and the words and going, well, my assumption would be not to expect that guy to be saying those things. And I was intrigued. So I thought, I know, I need an appointment with him. I'll go and ask him if there's a way to help my son a bit. And I called up, I found a number and I called it and said, can I make an appointment? And the person I spoke to said, yes, it'll be 10,000 pounds. I went, 10,000 pounds for one appointment? Are you kidding? And they went, no, that's how much it'll cost. And I went, well, forget it. I haven't got 10,000 pounds. And then I saw that he was giving a course on this thing called NLP, which I hadn't heard of. And it was only five or 600 pounds to join an entire course. So that seemed like a sneaky way to get to this guy. I wasn't interested in the course. <laughs> I just kept thinking, I'm going to go and talk to him in a lunch break and see if he can offer some advice. So I went on this course and um, I've got to say that the first few days I really didn't like it and I really didn't like him. Uh, so I was sitting through it and waiting for my opportunity to have a word with him in the break. So he did seem very knowledgeable. But he didn't seem very nice. He, he was quite harsh. He was talking a lot about smashing up cars and being angry. And so it wasn't quite my style. Anyway, I was traveling home on the underground after the third day or so, thinking I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to complete this course. It's like, I'm not really liking what's going on. And then I burst out laughing. 
because for the first time I could hear my own internal dialogue. I could hear what it was saying and it was saying, I think I've changed my mind. And what I, I could hear my voice, I could hear the voice tone I was using, and I could hear the ambiguity in that statement. There's some ambiguities in there. First of all, I think. Yes, I do. I'm, that is what I'm doing right now. I'm thinking, I'm talking to myself. This is me thinking. And I've never really noticed how I was talking to myself before. And I've changed my mind, i.e. I changed my opinion about certain things, but my mind was changed. And it was changed for the so much better. The so much more aware, and I felt suddenly like I had so much more control of myself and I burst out laughing out loud people stared at me on the tube and I didn't care that was another change you know I just didn't care I was feeling fabulous I didn't care what they thought of me I could hear myself thinking I knew what I was saying in all its nuances and depths and I knew in that moment my life was changed and I went back on the fourth day and everything flipped. And it was the best, the best thing I've ever done. Now, that's, that's my story. I don't know anyone else that didn't like it to start with. Most people like it the second day, the second the whole thing starts. But now I'm very passionate about it. I'm evangelical about it. I have to be careful because I think everyone should do it. And by the way, I gave both my children the practitioner and the master practitioner course for their 18th and 21st birthdays, because I couldn't think of a better gift to give my children, who are most important to me in the world, for their life ahead. I think it is amazing and wonderful and well I think I said to you before we actually clicked record on this that I don't know how I would have survived and I didn't only survive my life I've rocked it I spend most of my time very very happy and uh, you know I deal with stuff in a different way than I would have I have a career that I wouldn't otherwise have had I mean, it changed everything for the much better and the much more functional. You know, one of the questions that Richard Bandler, my teacher, he's the co-creator of NLP, and he does something he calls edutainment. So it's educational, but it's entertaining. It's really entertaining. I laughed my way through my practitioner course. I laughed and laughed so such big belly laughs he's very funny and uh you know at the end of that course i felt better than i felt coming back from the best holiday all my system had been washed in serotonin and oxytocin and all those wonderful chemicals 
that make you feel in love with life. And I've been in love with life ever since. It's just lovely. It's so lovely. And for, for someone that doesn't know what NLP is and not heard of it, what, how would you decide, define NLP and why, why should everyone use it? Like how, and how can they use it? Well, first of all, NLP stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming. And it is a pretty good title for it. This is about your neurology and how that affects how you feel and how you think. You know, your thoughts affect how you feel. The way you feel affects your chemical balance. You know, if you're uh, fearful, then maybe there's some adrenaline and cortisol. Bathing your cells, bathing your brain cells and directing your system. And, um, and one of the things adrenaline does to people is it reduces the amount of blood supply to your brain and sends it to your muscles. It's a fight or flight hormone. Well, so it's not the best thing to use when you need to think well. Oxytocin. Um, serotonin, these are the feel-good hormones. Dopamine is what helps you deal with pain. So being able to have some control over the chemical bath that you're in, and the chemical bath that your body is bathed in affects how you think and how you feel. They all affect each other. The way you think affects the way you feel, and they affect then how you behave. So there's a fantastic, complex little dance going on for us humans. And if you change the way you think, it will change how you feel. If you change the way you feel, it will change how you think. You know, if you're feeling great, you see the world through different eyes from a day when you feel bad in some way. So the definition of NLP is a little bit tricky because it's a huge subject. But Richard Bandler has defined it by saying, it is an attitude which leaves behind a trail of techniques. But the techniques evolve. First of all, you need the attitude. And in a way, when I'm working with my clients, I'm helping them to have the most useful attitude to the problem that they're dealing with so that they can deal with it better. And I, had, I heard of a thing since we spoke before the podcast about, I spoke to another hypnotist and practitioner of the mind, um, Jonathan Royal, and he said he, when he was getting bullied, one of the ways he dealt with the bully was an NLP pattern breaker. What is a way that you like change people's perceptions so when they say oh that bastard at work he's beating me up he's doing this and that or he's saying terrible things how do you change their mindset so they think more positively and find a way to sort that problem out well first of all uh paul mckenna who also taught me he used to say we have to be secret agents of change and uh, so i do go around my world making my best attempt to bring more 
happiness, more joy, more good functionality. But I don't really interfere in other people's lives unless I'm asked to. So if somebody came up at work and said, you know, I'm being bullied, I might say, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. Right? It's not my... I'm not on a mission to change people against their will. Though I could. And I think also, I think we do, because we're all inter interactive. And I think that what we are vibing out there affects people. You know, the state that we're in at any one moment is picked up by the people and the world around us. And it affects us. But it's, um, NLP is also the study of subjective experience. And I do believe that we live in, in a subjective universe. You know, my world isn't the same as your world. And I'm interested in, in how other people are perceiving their world and when they come to me and ask me to help them and pay me by the way um my first question will be what do you want because i'm not going to install what i would want it might not be what you want so what would i do if somebody said i'm being bullied i'd go sorry to hear it what are you going to do about it or are you gonna, do you want to do anything about it, right? Because I'm not going to assume I know what's best for you. And one of the things that I love about NLP, or my NLP, my version, my universe of NLP, is that it is, um, it's curious. Part of the attitude is a curiosity to learn, is there anything I can do that would be useful to you? And tell me what it is you want. The funny thing is, when, I, when my clients come in and they say, you know, I'm miserable because of this, I'm depressed, I'm taking drugs and I wish I wasn't, or you know, my relationship is falling apart, or I'm, whatever it is. Um, I will say to them, well, what do you want? And they'll usually tell me what they don't want. Ah, uh, yes. And there's a real difference. Uh, so here's a great quote from Richard Bandler. No doubt a few of them will come up today. He said, happiness isn't the prize you get for running away from pain. If you're running away from pain, it's a little bit like running down the road looking behind you you might smash into a lamppost right you need to be facing forward part of my work is getting people to face forward and aim themselves in the direction they want to go a lot of people don't think about that they think about what they don't want what they don't like what's wrong and if you don't know what you want instead, you can get rid of the old thing. You know, there's an expression, out of the frying pan into the fire. 
right? Why would you want to just get away from one thing and go to the next painful experience? You've got to know where you want to head and set yourself in that direction so that you've got to know where you want to head and the steps you're going to take towards it and aim yourself there. And for me, aiming myself towards being happy, being appreciative, being in love with my life, seems like a pretty good aim. I mean, there's more. I want to be healthy and have my re good relationships and do the things I want to do. But I'm facing forward, not back. And it's very helpful. Yeah. So instead of what people often do is they look at the problems, they should maybe look at what should look at them as like obstacles to get what their goal is. And then they figure out how to solve it rather than. Possibly. It's one way of going about it. I mean, if you look for a problem, you will find one. There's always going to be problems. Life is a complex mix of wonderful moments and difficulties, which we can learn from. And there's gold inside everything. In fact, this year I've been going, there's an upside and a downside to just about everything. Even the most wonderful things. If you look, you'll be able to find the downside. But it's a question of weighing up upsides and downsides and choosing the things that where the upsides far outweigh the downsides. Listen, there's even a downside to being optimistic and happy. It can be. Uh, you know, I can be so happy and optimistic that I won't even notice a problem growing. So, you know, I've had to learn to have something in my brain that points it out when I need to deal with something. So there is an upside and a downside to most things, but what you focus on is pretty important. And uh, problems usually have some gold in them. There's usually something brilliant that you can learn from dealing with a problem. Uh, you come out wiser. There's another lovely quote from Richard Bandler. He says, uh, most people say, one day you'll look back on this and laugh. And I say, why wait? So another aspect of NLP, which I find really helpful, is being able to laugh at my own stupidity and my own problems. Because laughter is a very useful thing that we humans can do. It changes our chemistry. And when your chemistry changes, you see things differently. You feel them differently. When I can laugh because I screwed up yesterday and think, how would I do that next time better? Suddenly I feel really good for having had that problem because one of the first things I learned on NLP is that I'm a good learner. And I don't mean school type learning. I didn't do well at school. I didn't like it. I didn't get on with it. Had a hard time. Left the day I was allowed to leave. Didn't even go back to collect the certificates from my exams. I hated it. It was like a torture. And I came out of school thinking I'm a fool. I'm dumb. There's no place for me on this planet. And, uh, you know, I don't know how I'm going to survive. It was a revelation to me to learn that I'm a really good learner. And I learn from life. 
you know, these days on Facebook, we go the school of life, you know, which school did you go to? And some people put the school of life. Well, that is the best school of all. And uh, it has a wonderful way of teaching us if we're open to learning. And I love the idea that I can just open up my brain and learn from my experiences. And so can you. We all do. But the question is, how well do we learn? What are we paying attention to? Could we do it better next time? How could we be enjoying our moments much more? Because when you focus on enjoying your moments, that's what life's made up of, a series of moments. Any moment I'm not enjoying feels a little bit like I've wasted that moment. Are you enjoying your moments, Marvin? I, oh, now you put me, you turned it. <laughs> I'll be honest. Uh, the fact that I have to think about it is probably, I'm happy with where I'm going. And I'm happy that I'm learning from a lot of my mistakes. Yes, I am, I am moderately happy. I'm getting there. I'm, I'm getting there. That's what I'll say. So are you happy with this moment? It's all you've got. You don't know what's going to be going on tomorrow. I, I mean, to me, one of the blessings about this pandemic is that we, we're going to have to get used to the unknown a little bit. And um, it was Virginia Satir, the family therapist, who said man's greatest fear is not death. It's the unknown. You know, our brains love to know that we can, what we, what we can expect. We love that feeling of, I know what's going on. I know what I can expect. It feels safe. Right now, the world is a bit unpredictable. And so it's a marvelous opportunity for working out how to get comfortable when you don't know what the hell's going to happen next. And you can. You can get comfortable, you can become present, mindful, be here now, and making, you know, sucking the juices from every second. And when you do that, it feels so rich. You know, what do I love about now this minute talking to you? Right? I'm loving it. And I want to love it. If I wasn't loving it, I'd be saying, bye-bye, I'm going to do something else. You know, I want to love my moments. I don't know how long I'm here for. We've all had a little bit of a close brush with death this year. It's not very far away. So to me, that just makes me want to enjoy now and appreciate it. I often think, I want to be lying on my deathbed going, every second I made the most of it. I really, I really made my life count for me. For me. And that can sometimes be just sitting and doing nothing. One of the other things about this pandemic is I've spent some time doing nothing. I was so busy before. I never had time just to do nothing. And I've realized doing nothing is something. It's a lovely thing. 
I'm just sitting here, listening to the birds, thinking my thoughts. It's a great feeling. What a great opportunity. So to me, enjoying our moments. Yes, keep your eye on the prize, where you're headed, and make sure you're facing in the right direction. And, you know, check out, are there any problems I need to think ahead about and put things in place to make sure I have as easy a ride as possible. But always remember, that's just an aim. And if you're always in your future, then your whole life can pass. And then it's gone. <coughs> and what, what it's <coughs> Yeah, it's a funny, you brought in a lot of things there. <laughs> yeah. Now, one thing I'm interested in talking about also, you mentioned something that also made me think of a thing called law of reverse effort. What are your thoughts on that? Because I found that quite a fascinating thing because, as you said, when people try so hard to get their goals and they get them and then, you may not like this analogy, but I've, you, know, you hear it all the time, like sometimes with women, they're attracted to guys that aren't too bothered about them, but guys that put all their effort trying to get them, they won't give them the time of day. And how does the law of eff reverse ethic sort of come into play with certain things? Well, I'm not a fan of lazy. I am not lazy. Um, and I don't know the official, I've never heard of the law of reverse effort, but what I imagine you might mean is that sometimes trying to do things is not the best way to get them done. So my question would be to myself, what state do I need to be in? What do I need to know? What do I need to be able to learn in order to achieve what I want to achieve? I'll tell you a, a story. My husband died 13 years ago. <laughs> and there's no way to make that wonderful, right? And I, and I was a bit lost. And I kept thinking, how am I going to do my life without him? And I really couldn't work it out. I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know how I was going to find out what I wanted. It just felt a bit hopeless. And I thought, well, I don't know what I want, but I do know that if what I want is going to become an opportunity for me to find it, I need to be in the best possible state. I need to create an environment where something wonderful can find me. And so what I spent some time doing was getting myself into a really beautiful, relaxed, serene, happy state. I made my house more beautiful than it had ever been because I wasn't tidying it up all the time and running around after other people. So I made it really beautiful. I repainted it. I changed things around. I made my home beautiful. I made my internal home beautiful. And then I don't think I had to wait more than a couple of weeks before 
things started showing up in my world that were offers and opportunities that were going to be wonderful for me. And sometimes, you know, we talk about flow states, and I think flow states are really cool. When you're at your best, you're probably not working at it. That thing of kind of fighting it and working at it often seems to be more obstructive than helpful. So for me, it's a lot about being in the right frame of mind and the right state for whatever it is I'm doing. And there's no one easy answer for that because being in the right state to do one thing is going to be the wrong state to do something else. It was the right state to be unhappy after my husband died. It was appropriate. It would have been a bit weird if I'd gone, oh, well, my husband's gone and I'm a happy bunny. That, that wouldn't have fitted. I needed to grieve and I needed to think about it and I needed to feel what I felt. <coughs> but I also needed to know when the time was to start moving on. And um, here's another Richard Bandler quote. Sorry, it's, they're going to keep coming up because I've had so much wisdom from that man. And uh, he said to me, you know, it's not that we ever stop missing the people who've died, who we loved, but life has a way of growing around it. And he's right. My life has grown around it. I still miss my husband, but it isn't spoiling my life. And I am very joyous and very productive and very happy. And my life today is not as wonderful as it's going to be next week because it's a permanent optimization. It's a process. But as Alan Watts, the wonderful Buddhist teacher, pointed out so rightly, if when we went to a concert, we were only waiting for that final cymbal crash, instead of enjoying the music as it's playing, that would be a funny way to go to a concert. It's not all about the goal, getting to the goal. It's about aiming yourself in the right direction and enjoying the journey there. To me, that's my policy. And uh, when my clients come to me, I want to know, what do you want? What do you want to happen? Uh, you know, I, I don't want to be arguing with my husband all the time. Well, what do you want? Because if they're focused on the fact that they're having arguments all the time, how is that going to guide them to what they do want? And sometimes it takes me to ask them a few times, what do you want? Okay, thank you for telling me what you don't want. I hear that. I understand you want that not to be the case, but what do you want instead? And finally, they'll tell me something like, well, I want to be in love and I want to be having laughs with my husband and having more fun and more cuddles. Oh, now, you know, that sounds simple, but as soon as they think about cuddles, love, laughter, more in love, somehow that starts to set them up to create that. 
so they know where they're aiming and they can start making the journey to get there. And once they're focused on what they do want, heart, a lot of the work is done. A lot of the work is done. So one of the things that, that I want to sort of follow on to that is how do you, so once you've got that, how can you stop them from, what words can you use to stop them? So if someone's going to say, oh, I really hate this person or they hate that person, what words do they say to stop them? Or if they're about to do something scary or difficult, how do you, how, what words can they say to stop themselves and replace it with things that are more positive? And as you say, go towards more to the outcome they want. Well, it's not a one size fits all. NLP is not the same. You know, I do a lot of work helping stammerers become more fluent. And no two sessions are alike. The output behavior is the same, but all the stuff that's going on that's generating that output behavior is unique to the person. And <clears throat> so there isn't an answer to your question. If you're asking me that question for you, that's a different thing. So if you say to me, I hate that person, the first thing I've got to tell you I'm going to think is I'm sorry for you. Because carrying hate, anger, all those biblical sins, hate, anger, greed, vanity, jealousy, the worst thing about them is how it feels for the person feeling them. And yes, it does make them do things which maybe aren't great for other people too. And they're vibing that out there into the world, which is not very nice to be with, in my opinion. You know, it's not great being with somebody that's feeling venomous. But the person who's suffering the most, here's a quote from the Dalai Lama. I think it's the Dalai Lama. He said, something along the lines of, oh God, it's something about wanting somebody else to die and drinking the poison yourself, something like that, right? Feeling those hateful feelings, jealous feelings, angry feelings, the person that's suffering the most is the person feeling them. So the first thing I would think is, I'm sorry for you. That must be horrible for you to be feeling that hatred. What would you rather feel? I'd want to ask you that question. If you said, I hate that person, I'd go, well, are you enjoying it, first of all? Are you enjoying <laughs> hating that person? Yeah, and you'd laugh. And that would change your feelings straight off. And you'd have to consider it. Maybe it's serving you in some way to hate that person, right? But once you've decided that it's not how you want to feel, the next question is, what do you want to feel instead? You know, that person may behave like an asshole in your opinion. Well, maybe you can learn from that. I mean, I've definitely learned from people that I don't like how they're behaving. And I've learned a lot, like for a start, I never want to behave like that. I'm so glad I'm not that person. Right, and then I feel really good about being me. And that's a really good feeling. 
I want to get up every morning and look in the mirror and go, I like you. Yes, and that's, that's probably a good aim for all of us as people. If you can, rather than focus on the material things or appearing like, you know, you see on Instagram is probably the biggest vanity thing where they try and make themselves appear like this and that. And they're definitely not happy with who they are. When people get surgery or they do all these different things, that's overcompensating for what's lacking in on the inside. And it's sad. I, you know, I'm, I'm old now and I'm sad about all the selfies and the vanity because I think there's more important things to pay attention to than, you know, are my eyebrows painted the right way? Like, how about accepting yourself for who you are, enjoying your strengths, celebrating them, and working on the other bits? Because when you start to think, listen, by the way, I don't think perfection is a very good aim for us humans. I don't, who wants to be with a perfect person? You know, that's, yeah. that's horrible. I don't want to be with somebody who's frigging perfect. That's just going to make me feel bad about not being perfect enough. I think it's great that we are all learners, that we're all trying to find our way. We've all got our struggles. And I'm not ashamed of not being perfect. I'm proud of it. I often fuck up. Let's put it straight. I often do. I make mistakes. I say the wrong thing. I do the wrong thing. But what I love is when I can laugh at myself and go, I'm not going to do that next time. Yeah. They, they, you mentioned before, like sometimes the people that hate you, or like sometimes the people that are, they hate themselves more than anything else. And that's the, that's the saddest thing, as you say. Yeah. And, you know, I don't blame anyone for that. Our society, our world is built to focus you on what's wrong with you. What's not good enough about you? Where you're failing starts in school. They put red lines over every mistake you make so that you pay attention to your mistakes. And I think that that probably had a, you know, um, an okay intention. If we point out your mistakes, you can do it better next time. But if you keep pointing out what people are doing wrong, that may not be the most helpful way of going about helping them to do better. They did a great experiment in New Zealand. They took away all the teachers' red pens and gave them green pens and said, what we want you to do is to underline everything in the children's essays that you think is really good. Put a big green tick or a green line at the end of the essay give them three learning points for next time. You know, I think people respond well to being appreciated for what's good about them and then helped and educated to do even better in future. Now, because we've all been brought up with a lot of that, you did this wrong, you did that wrong, that wasn't good enough, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you don't look right. You're not behaving right. You're whatever it is. <clears throat> people, we don't need those teachers anymore for people to be doing that to themselves. 
often my work with clients is to get them to be a bit nicer to themselves on the inside. What about if you are okay exactly as you are? You're in the middle of your process. You haven't, you haven't done as well as you're going to do. And that's quite right. But when you focus on what you do like about yourself, particularly once it's been pointed out that you can be a good learner, you think, what shall I do next to make my life better? What can I do today that makes me feel happier and more? What can I do to serve my society, my friends, my family, myself better today than I did yesterday? And then you can feel really proud of that. You'll go to bed at night feeling really like you've done good things. You'll get all that pleasure knowing that you've done better than you've ever done before and instead of beating yourself up and having a mean teacher or parent in your head you can have a kind friend who helps you look if you had uh, if there was a little child who you love who comes running to you crying and saying they're having they're being bullied at school how would you cheer that child up and get them feeling strong and okay about themselves and send them back out the next day feeling like they can deal with it. What sort of thing would you say and in what sort of voice would you say it? You wouldn't say you're an idiot to someone you love. You'd go, well, I love you and I think you're great. And you know, that person, that's about them. It's not about you, you're, you're lovely. You go on being a lovely person. You can feel really good about how nice you are. Forget about that horrible person or something like that. And you'd say it in an encouraging voice. You'd say it in a loving voice. What would it be like if that voice was inside your head, encouraging and guiding you, instead of having the mean person going, oh, you screwed up again. Oh, you're an idiot. How's that going to help you do better tomorrow? Just going to make you feel bad. Yeah, so that's what they say in it in a lot of studies. The teachers that make people do better are the ones that reward them when they do well, rather than punish them for when they do badly. Yes. But you know, there's a lot of people doing that all by themselves. They don't need a mean teacher to do it. They're doing it themselves. So a big thing I learned in my training was how to have the helpful voice in my head, the loving one, the one that tells me, never mind, you'll do it better next time. You're a good learner. And that voice in my head supports me when I'm struggling. It doesn't trash me. I don't need to take pictures of myself with even better painted on eyebrows. I am good enough for me as I am. If you don't see that, that's not really my problem. You don't have to hang out with me. Yeah, I'm happy with me. And it, it's a bit like, sometimes <laughs> I, I see a lot of stories and people that are successful and really big, like they're like, they have the very big attitude of, you know, I'm happy with who I am. And if you don't like it, the word F off is fine. Yeah, it's okay. You know, go and find someone else to hang with. Richard Bander tells a great story. He was, he was asked to help 
people to learn how to flirt. There are a lot of people, I mean, it's a slightly old fashioned story, so you've got to update it in your head. But he said there are a lot of people that go to dances and they see a girl across the room who they really like the look at, Bob, but they don't walk over and ask her to dance because they've already thought in their head, I'm gonna go over to her, she's gonna tell me that I'm rubbish and she wouldn't dream of dancing with me and I'm gonna feel bad. So they don't go and do it. He said, why don't you just walk over and if she's mean, you say to yourself, I am so glad I didn't end up marrying you. If she's mean, why would you want to hang out with her? Look for someone who's going to like you. Makes sense. So instead of being afraid to find out, you need to find out sooner rather than later. There's a lot of people who marry the person who was mean to them and who carries on being mean to them and then feels angry with them, right? This is a learning moment, right? And, and to feel happy. If you meet somebody who you like, but they don't like you, instead of morphing yourself into somebody who you're not, maybe you need to find somebody else. Yeah. That's yeah. Especially in high school, isn't it? You see that all the time. People are like, I need to be this, I need to be this, and then they're still upset and angry. <laughs> yeah, and they're not spending time on making themselves more beautiful inside. Hatred, anger, fear, jealousy, these are things that make people ugly inside. And it, make them, it makes them behave in an ugly way. You know, we could be living on a planet where we're all looking after each other, watching each other's backs, helping each other out. Um, my mum gave me a few good things. One of the things she said to me is, life's pretty hard, actually. So if you can make somebody else's life easier, why wouldn't you do it? If you can make somebody else's life happier, why wouldn't you? And that applies to ourselves, too. If you can make your life happier, more productive, more exciting, more inspiring, why wouldn't you? Be careful what you focus on. Aim yourself in the right direction. And that, to me, is the nutshell of what NLP helps you to do. Helps you to listen to what you're saying to yourself. Notice the images and the movies that you run in your mind and know how to make them the ones that are going to support and help you to be the best version of you. That's it. Forget about controlling anyone else. Learn how to control your own neurology, your own thoughts, your own feelings, and aim yourself at being the best version of you. I can't find a downside of that. It's about the only thing I can't find a downside of. The, the one thing I find that does get said a lot, and it's good, but how do you go along the side of not having that sort of massive sort of, I mean, as you say, a lot of famous people, people that really say some of them are some of the most unhappy people out there. But how do you balance the happiness, but also making sure that you don't get 
too complacent or too lackadaisical and actually have that will to work hard? Right. Well, some people use beating themselves up as, excuse me, my dog is probably going to come into the Hello. picture sometime. <laughs> um, how do you motivate yourself? You know, motivation is quite an important. Hello, Freya. Are you coming in this podcast? <laughs> motivation is, um, we need to feel motivated. And so the first thing, how do you do that, is you aim yourself to feel motivated and, and happy and enjoying the process. So, yes, I could feel really contented with how it is now, but I also want to feel happy with tomorrow, next week, next year, in case I'm here. So I need to have those things in place. But... Here's another thing that was said to me on that first NLP training, which has stood me in fantastic stead. Uh, the question is, are you having enough fun yet? Hmm. And I wasn't, by the way, just because I hadn't aimed myself for having fun. I like having fun all the time. Every so often, I have to calm myself down. I'm by myself, but I am having so much fun and so much joy, and it's nearly bedtime. Now I need to get relaxed, but I'm, I'm just like, having such a great time. I can't believe what, how much fun I'm having. Now I need to relax. So, you know, moment by moment, there are different things I want from my life. Sometimes I just want to feel... This is perfect. I don't need to do anything. I'm just going to enjoy being right now. It's a kind of meditation. What can I hear? Does it sound nice? What can I see? Does it look nice? How do I feel? Could I feel even happier right now? Yes. How do I do that? Oh, I have the tools. I know that I can take that feeling, that good feeling inside, double the intensity of it and double it again why ah, okay. just because it feels good okay so there are lots of amazing tools and techniques inside nlp and they're useful to know but by the way it's um, an evolving thing the the techniques we used 20 years ago in nlp some of them we don't anymore we found better faster ways of getting the same results so it's evolving, but once you set yourself up to, to get creative and to generate the things that you need to help you do a better job or to feel happier or to feel just more of what you want, maybe happiness isn't what you want. Um, there's no rule about it, but it is good to know what it is you would like to be feeling in any moment and to know how to get there. And to do it with more intensity so that it feels joyous, not just vaguely happy. If you could feel wonderful, why wouldn't you? So um, it's a chemical thing. And once you train your neurology to produce more of the oxytocin and the serotonin, and once you start having more fun in here and looking for where you can have more fun in your world, you find it. And 
if you're looking for a problem, you'll find it. If you're looking for fun, you'll find it. You, you basically described it as, as a drug or something. Like someone, like, you, if you want to get motivated, treat what you want as a drug so that you enjoy you it and keep going. You are a drug factory. We humans are drug factories. The way drugs work is they tell your brain what to produce more or less of in your system. <laughs> you don't need to take that pill necessarily to do that. You can just give your brain the instruction. And once you know what you want, you can aim yourself towards it. You can train yourself towards it. My neurology knows now that when I wake in the morning, I want to wake up feeling good. My neurology knows that when I go to bed at night, I want to be able to drift into the most sumptuous, refreshing, beautiful, relaxed sleep where I can regenerate, do what I need to do in my sleep, clean out the old connections in my brain that I don't any longer need, build the things that I do need. You know, you are an incredible machine, human, and you can produce those chemicals at will. And you can do it until it becomes a habit. And once it becomes a habit, you don't, it's effortless. It's effortless. I'm going to be happy unless something gets in the way. That's the truth. And uh, that's my default now because I've trained myself. My default is happy, excited, enthusiastic, um, having fun. But, you know, life kicks in, the curveballs come, the difficulties come. Then I want to move into how can I do this in a way that is going to get the best result? How can I process this in a way which is most useful to me making myself somebody I like even more and it's not going to come by having my nose shape changed it's not going to come by you know putting on my nail polish it's going to come by how I feel inside and then you know what the other cool byproduct of that is that I'm not hiding so the people that like me are going to like me and the people that don't that's fine go and find people you like yeah. And it's funny also with a lot of people's insecurities, they think about, as you say, they think about them so much that they keep on attracting the things that they don't want because they keep thinking about it. And like when they worry about the job or not getting it or screwing it up, they keep on thinking that about what could go wrong rather like they should be processing. I've done my best. Whatever happens, I will learn something from it and I'll pick myself up and I'll be better for it you've got it that's absolutely right and because if you keep focusing on what might not be good enough about you how is that gonna get you feeling other than not good enough or angry or resentful and then we blame other people and get and we think we're angry with them we're not we're angry with ourselves really um yeah hmm. 
one thing I do want to ask you, because this is something I've not quite understood, and this is from a comedy's perspective. When I go on stage and I've, well, I talk honestly, and I don't try and be funny or any of that, I often get a lot of big laughs, and then I don't record it, and then I lose it. And then when I start trying to write a joke that's funny, or I spend ages trying to write it, trying to perfect it, trying to get it right, I'm tense as a leaf, and it doesn't go well. And it's... it's... Well, there's the clue for you. It's not anything wrong with the joke. Right? You can still write your joke. But if you put a little bit of attention on what state do I need to be in in order to tell that joke in a way that it will land in my audience the way I want it to land, right? People pick up on your state. So, you know, one of the things I notice about great comedians is they're laughing inside. You can see they're laughing inside. It's almost like they can hardly hold back how funny they think the joke is. And that really helps me to find the joke funny. I need you to think it's funny. If you're busy worrying about how people are going to respond and you're all tense, then I'm busy worrying and feeling your tension. I want to feel your laughter. That's going to help me to find the laughter in me. It's nothing wrong with the joke. It's the state that you are in when you deliver it. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. And, people, and why is it that people are able to pick up on your energy? I mean, even if, you're, if your body language is reflecting a certain thing and your inside is completely different, how do people pick that? Is it the smell you produce maybe? <laughs> We're wonderfully mysterious. I do think we pick up on a lot more than we are consciously aware of. For example, I read recently somewhere something I love, which is that we produce photons in our brain. Those are light particles and they come out. You know, sometimes I meet people and I think not a lot is going on in there. It's like I can feel that there aren't that, there's not that much electrical activity or not much in the way of photon production. And I love it when I'm I can kind of feel it when I can feel, yeah, that spark inside you. I want to feel that. Uh, and I think, I hope that you can feel that from me. I'm not brain dead. There's a lot going on in here. And, and I don't know, you know, I can't tell what you're picking up from me. And I don't know what you're picking up consciously, and I certainly don't know what you're unconscious, which is a really wise being, your unconscious. It's picking up on loads of stuff. Um, you know, what our conscious mind is for is to filter the information coming to us so that we're not overwhelmed. When people take LSD, it takes the filter off so they can see things and hear things they wouldn't normally be aware of. Doesn't mean they weren't there. Just means that we're not paying attention to them or we don't have the receptors that we're trained to pay attention to. These days, uh, the world of neurology is super interesting. Uh, my favorite neurologist, Dr. David Eagleman, 
has created a vest which deaf people can wear and when sound uh, when sound waves hit the vest it has a it gives a little signal on the skin and within a couple of weeks the brain translates the signal so that they can hear they literally can hear because look how are we what are we doing with all these light waves that are coming at us they're just light waves it's our brains that translate it into you know this chair this hand right it it's not the actual rods and cones in our eyes that do that they just receive the light waves and particles it's our brain that does the work and turns it into a recognizable thing and we are making such incredible progress in the world of neurology now neuroscience that we can start I'll tell you another great thing david eagleman did it was a great experiment he made a belt he used mobile phone parts and he created a belt that would buzz when it was facing due magnetic north and he gave that belt to a few people to wear and when they first put the belt on it was annoying because every time they turned around another bit would buzz another bit would buzz after a day it stopped feeling annoying they just got used to it right it habituated after a few days they stopped noticing it completely after two weeks they could take the belt off put those people miles from home where they didn't know where they were and they could find their way home they had a homing instinct uh, it was they they worked out how birds migrate they have a, a thing in their brain which picks up magnetism so they're constantly aware of where magnetic north is and that's how they navigate right across the globe so they thought, well, maybe we could create a sense for humans. And they can. We can do cool things. I mean, you know, it's exciting what we're learning to be able to do now. You can train yourself to be aware of wonderful things instead of horrible things. You can train yourself to focus on what you love instead of what you don't want. And you can train yourself to keep facing yourself in the right direction. But here's the thing, it's really important to be flexible. Um, the great hypnotist Paul McKenna, he used to say when uh, an aeroplane takes off from London Heathrow, and uh, not at the moment so much, but you know, when planes are flying, take off from Heathrow, you set the computer to take you to JFK in New York, but the plane isn't just constantly flying in that direction because there are winds and weather to deal with and currents. So the plane adjusts its attitude. If it goes, if JFK is there and Heathrow is here, sometimes the plane is flying slightly off, but it knows where it's aiming. So it just adjusts the attitude of its wings and brings it back on course.
so that it gets to JFK in the time that it would expect to vaguely, sometimes with little delay here and there. But basically, we have to adjust as we go. And flexible is important. So we aim ourselves. But then as stuff happens and life comes up and new data comes in, we might have to do it a little differently than we thought we were going to do it and adjust. And I think, if I'm right in saying this, that the word attitude is an aeronautic term for how the wings are, right? You adjust your attitude so that you keep aiming to where you want to go. And when you're knocked off course, you just gently bring yourself back and adjust and learn. It's very cool. It's just a nice way of thinking about it. It's not more than that, but it, it helps me and maybe it'll help you. And when you're on the stage and you've got a joke that you've written, remember that even more important than the words in the joke is the, the, the state that you are telling it in. That's what's going to get the people to be able to enjoy the joke and laugh at it. You, 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 you made energy sound like a virus. <laughs> yeah. Be careful what virus you spread is one of my policies. Because what you spread is what you spread. You don't want to give somebody some horrible deathly virus. You want to infect them with your joy, your fun, your happiness, your acceptance of yourself and thereby your acceptance of them. Your appreciation. These are viruses. They're good viruses. Those are the ones that I'm happy to, um, to carry around with me and infect other people with. And what's the challenge you sometimes face? Because you deal with a lot of wide variety of clients. I've seen it there. Like you got from like CEOs of massive companies, like TV people, I think celebrities as well. And how do you, yeah, how do you manage to maintain your state despite dealing with all these challenges? Because my God, it must be difficult at times. It's hard actually. It was one of the big challenges when I first started doing this work, that I would bring it away with me. I'd be worrying about my clients all day. And worrying if I was doing a good enough job for them and worrying if they'd be able to do what they want. Da, da, da. And I have learned now um, in my later years how to, I think one of the things I think is really important is what you connect with and what you disconnect from. And every once in a while, a few times a year, I do a connection audit in my life and I check what am I connecting with energetically. I am a bit of a woo-woo person, I warn you. I am a witch. Um, what am I connecting? That's a whole other podcast. Uh, I am, what am I connecting with and what am I connecting with that I want to disconnect from? And am I connected to all the things I want to be connected with? And, you know, just putting your attention on that is valuable. 
who are the people in your life you're giving time to that maybe would be better spent elsewhere? What are the thoughts that you're thinking that maybe are taking up space when you could be thinking better thoughts? Um, I love connecting with nature. I found that nature is incredibly healing and there is a permanent invitation from nature to connect with it and allow it to come in and do lovely things for me. So I make sure that every day, it's why I got a dog. I got a dog for three reasons. One, I'm in the business of communicating and I couldn't speak dog. I wanted to learn to speak dog. Uh, it's a really great language. Uh, my dog is cleverer than me with some things. So I've increased my ability to uh, smell from learning from her. She's got an amazing, amazing ability to, you know, she can sniff the floor and know who was standing there two hours ago. You know, to me, I'm just in awe of her abilities. She's also really good on picking up what's going on with people. So I've done a lot of learning with her and I wanted to learn dog. The other thing, I wanted a reason to have to do my exercise because uh, if it's raining or cold and I think I should, I should go for a walk, I probably won't. I very rarely do the things I should. That's not a good word for me. I think a lot of people, by the way, try to drive themselves by telling, you know, motivate themselves by telling themselves what they should do. And I think a lot of people don't like that word much. And it's amazing what happens when you change it in your head. You just go, instead of, I should do the dishes, I go, I want to do the dishes. Everything changes. I might say to myself, well, why? Why do I, do I want to do the dishes? Well, I definitely like it when the dishes are done. So I want to get them done. I'll do it really well. I'll get it done now. And then later I'll feel pleased with myself. If I say I should do the dishes, I won't. Um, so now I've sidetracked myself talking about shoulds. I don't do my shoulds. Oh yeah, I should go for a walk in the rain. It will be good for me, but I'm not going to. Uh, so I got a dog because now I, I have to, and I do the things I have to pretty easily. So um, I have to take the dog for a walk. She's looking at me from the other side of this screen going, <laughs> walk, walk, that's my favorite word. Um, <laughs> not yet Freya. So I got a dog to learn her language. I got a dog to make me do my walks and I got a job to get me out. I got a dog to get me out in nature because it's very healing. And whatever's going on for me, I, purposely open myself to the idea that nature is offering healing and I imagine it coming into me I imagine it doing my body good and I also really imagine connecting with it so when I see a tree I say hello to it and more importantly I ask the tree have you got any wise words for me today? And I just let that come in through my imagination. And 
trees really talk BS. They generally have good things to say. And, and a lot of what trees tend to say is be who you are. It's okay to be you. And somehow I find that very um, lovely. They just, nature just accepts you. We're part of nature. We are nature. And we're all in a dance together. And when we harmonize that dance, the planet will be a better place. You know, the problems we're seeing today, and they're grim. I, I, I don't know what it's like for young people, but I could imagine I'd have some work to do if I was young right now, not to feel angry about what my forefathers have done to my planet. But we still have time to put it right. And it's not going to come right by thinking that we are cleverer than nature. We're not. Nature knows how to balance herself. And if we keep knocking her off balance, she has to get more and more violent in the way that she rebalances. We've got to stop killing our oceans. We've got to stop trashing our planet with plastics. We've got to stop. And we are going to. I, I'm holding out a lot of hope for the shift that we're in the middle of making now, where we realize that, you know, this business of man has dominion over nature. We've got to go back to the more um, indigenous attitude, which is we're the caretakers of our planet, not the owners of it. We can, we're, we're the caretakers. And in order to take care of anything, the first question is, what do you want? The first thing to do is listen, not talk. I'm getting better at listening. What, what would bring my garden joy? Okay, now that I've said to my dog that word, W-A-L-K, she's bringing me an old sock that she's found, i.e. <laughs> put on your socks and take me out. I know that's what you want, but you've got to wait. Not ready, I will take you. You've got to wait, Freya. Now wait like a good girl, go and sit down and wait. I know, I know that's what you want. I hear you. No, she's going to get more emphatic and climb on me. I know that's what you want. I get that. I hear you. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you. I mean, I'll be honest. Thank you for coming on the podcast. You've you've given a lot of great lessons. I think for anyone that's listening on there to get themselves in the right mindset for the things they want and to live a a more positive mindset life. I'd say. More positive, more harmonious, more loving, <clears throat> more happy, and more accepting of themselves. And knowing that, you know, we're all struggling. We're all trying to find our way. We're all a little bit lost. And we're all looking for our way. And, you know, find the people who are going to help you. Find the people who you can learn from. And hang out with them. The people that bring out the best in you, because it's a waste of time to hang out with people who make you feel less than you are. It's, it's okay. That's what I, if I could give a message to young people today, I'd say, make yourself more beautiful inside and spread that. 
spread that. Spread beauty, spread joy, spread love, spread happiness. Stop worrying about the things that don't really matter. Find out what really matters to you and aim yourself towards being, being a force for something wonderful. You know, if we all did that and we all connected to the good stuff, to the love and the peace and the joy and, and the caretaking, we'd all be able to make this world a better place. And I think we need to get together and do that right now. You on for the ride, Marvin? Yes. Um, um, yeah, yes, yes, I am on the ride. <laughs> you're the driver. So I'll be on the... <laughs> you're the bus driver. <laughs> I, I don't mind being one bus driver, but you're the guy that drives your bus. And it's a good thing to know where you want to drive it to, and then never mind whether you ever get there. Make sure it's a beautiful route, and that every day is fun and happy and productive and that you enjoy being you because you are really pretty perfect and on a journey not as perfect as you'll be tomorrow yes Freya you're perfect too and I love you too <laughs> do you want to say goodbye to everyone here the, the, the only hello. thing I'd like to say now is what would you like to plug <laughs> well my website is www laura-spicer.com and if anybody has any questions for me they can send me an email through my website i'd be more than happy to answer in any way that i can via an email and uh, i'm quite expensive if you want to consult me that's the only thing i should warn you but it's worth every penny uh, so, you know, of course I see clients and help people. We didn't even talk about my specialism, which is voice, but that's for another one, one day. And uh, just, you know, make sure that you're being kind to yourself on the inside. That's what I want to plug. Be good to yourself and be good to the people around you. It's important. We need to change the world for the better. Get out of it, Freya. One person at a time. Yeah, best of luck with everything. It looks like things are getting better. And I hope you and your dog enjoy the walk. <laughs> We're going to. Thank you so much. Lovely to talk to you today, Marvin. You too. Take care.